Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. My guest today is Jeff Toyster, and when I tell you about him, you'll quickly understand why I'm so happy to have him on my show. Jeff's first customer service interaction ended in a service failure. Vowing to learn from that experience, he became obsessed with customer service. And today, he's the best-selling author of four customer service books, has trained over 1 million people on LinkedIn Learning, and is ranked as one of the top customer service professionals in the world by Global Gurus. You'll hear him explain how to do customer service right and keep employees engaged and motivated to deliver excellence. There's no fluff in our conversation. We keep it very real and provide best practices for you to apply at your workplace right now. Not in a month from now, not next year, but to start right now. Don't wait because every day counts. Please, I ask that you subscribe to Doing CX Right Podcasts on your favorite channels and tell others. It would mean a lot. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Jeff Toyster. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Stacey Sherman, thanks for having me here. I am so glad to have time to talk to you because we tweet a lot. We comment a lot on social media, but there's nothing like the human uh, face-to-face. Oh, that's true. I'm I'm just excited to realize you are a real person and not a bot. <laughs> that's very exciting. So thank yes. you for that. <laughs> yes, right back at you. So <laughs> tell the audience, there's no way they don't know you already, but just in case, who are you? What do you do professionally? Ooh, um, that could be such a deep question. Who am I? I'm still trying to find out. <laughs> what I do professionally is is I help organizations get their employees obsessed with customers. And uh, the way I do that is I research, write, and speak about customer experience and customer service. So, and it's funny you say this because one thing I used to do years ago, I used to do a lot of consulting and a lot of customer service training. That's my background. Mm -hmm. And today I still get requests for that. And it's something I, I no longer do. So in a way, this is a great opportunity to clarify who am I and what do I do? So I I appreciate the question. Yes. Well, customer service obviously has been around forever, calling a company for help, calling or chatting or whatever channel. And I can see why people would call you for help because it is it does make or break a brand perception and experience. But we know customer experience is broader than that. So we'll we'll go into that in a few minutes. Talking about you, what's a fun fact that many people might not know? I'm outdoorsy. And, and by outdoorsy, I really like to explore and, and hike the outdoors. And I do see a lot of parallels in my professional life and my personal life. So as an example, uh, yesterday I took a day off with a friend of mine. We drove a couple hours out to a remote part of the desert and down like this remote dirt road, didn't see a soul for hours and hours and had to 
find a way to climb up this this really remote mountain in the middle of the desert. And so there's desert all around, and then there's all these evergreen trees at the very top, and it's beautiful for miles. But the same concepts that I use on that trip in terms of navigation, picking a destination, overcoming obstacles along the way, they also translate into my professional mm. life as well. So I spend a lot of time outdoors when I'm not doing podcasts like yours. What is your why? Why do you spend so much time focused on these topics and even communication, which we know is everything in life, but what is your why? So I'll give you a very cliche sounding answer. And it's, I'm sure, I know this is a podcast, but I can see your audience about to roll their eyes. It's my why is simply to make customer experience better. Uh, But there's, there's more behind that. One aspect is, I'm a customer. You're a customer. Your, your audience are customers. We've all been frustrated multiple times. And we can see this is so obvious what they should do to create a better experience. So that, that friction affects all of our lives. And it feels good to fix that. And that's the other side of it is we know, you know it, I'm sure your audience knows that, that while it might seem obvious to the customer, the things that have to happen in an organization to create a great experience can often be complicated. They can be challenging. And there's a huge level of satisfaction that comes with figuring out a way to put all those things together and deliver a great experience to the customer so the customer doesn't feel that friction and feels like, great, I can trust this organization. I want to come back. So to me, that's mm-hmm. really fulfilling. A- and again, I'm I'm out there for the customer because I'm one of them too. Yes. I, I feel the same way. And it's same reason I started doing CX Right because there's no reason for a bad experience with a brand. And also, there's no reason to have a bad employee experience where you're not valued, included, appreciated. And God knows how many times that happens. No reason for it. Well, and and I know that's a big focus for you as well as an employee experience. And and it's such a it's a, such a buzzword. You know, one question I, I wanted to ask you is: How do you define employee experience? What mm-hmm. what does that look like? What does that sound like? Mm. It is definitely much bigger than a human resource role. It's not <laughs> just about benefits and pay. Obviously, when you're choosing a company, you look at that the, the package, but. Really, it is just like a customer, how you're onboarded, how you're made to feel the the first 90 days. Do you feel like a family? Do you have the ability, the tools, the resources, the support, the mentorship to be able to do a great job and be empowered to deliver customer excellence? So as people are leaving companies a lot right now, more than ever before, I do think that exiting, exit interviews and exit experiences have to be part of the conversation, just like we're doing with customers. So we could talk about this topic for so long, but the point is it's all intertwined. Oh, absolutely. And, And I think on top of exit interviews, conducting stay interviews as well to figure out why are people staying and, and and what's the difference? You know, often you find that, you know, there's a certain type of employee that loves to do what you're asking them to do. And there's a certain type of employee that does not like it. And to figure out who those people are 
And, and how do I make sure that the people who want to stay continue to feel that way? I don't want to wait until they're out the door before I spot some sign of trouble that I could have fixed five months ago or six months ago. I want to talk to them now. And, and in my experience, good leaders are having those conversations with their employees all the time, whether it's formally or informally. What's keeping you here? What do you need to do your best work? Who's doing that? Because a stay interview, that's foreign. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it, the way you said it is is so basic and real and needed, but but we don't really do that. We we do have formal reviews, mid-year reviews and end of year reviews, but that's not a stay interview. It could be. I mean, if we're using these tools correctly, if we have one-on-ones with our employees, if we have mid-year reviews, formal reviews, why are we not talking about what's keeping them here, what their personal and development goals are? I think if we're using those tools correctly, that is a stay interview, even if we don't call it that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've probably both seen managers who have just a wonderful, open, trusting relationship with their employees, where they have real and frank discussions on a regular basis and often informally. So you might not call it a stay interview, but if you're having open conversations with your employees, you know what their goals are. You know what drives them, why they love coming to work every day. Now you might be doing stay interviews and you just don't know it. But the the people who are not doing it are the people who are avoiding all of those conversations and just engaged in more kind of transactional management. Here's the task, go do it, you did it, great, let's move on. Yes. Oh, I love this. So going back to customer service, which is that center of excellence that handles customer complaints and questions, those reps are often not always appreciated and not always empowered. What's your perspective on how to make them want to stay? And how is it changing now, as we're as as life's changing, what what is the what does that mean to you? So that's a big question. I, I sense there's two parts. So let me get to the first yeah. one. I'm going to warn you that future Jeff will forget the second part, and then I'll ask you, <laughs> what was the second part of that again? I just predict that, but <laughs> so, yeah, I know I threw a lot at service, you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've been on the front lines. I've managed customer service teams. I've trained thousands and thousands in person. I've talked to a lot of people. And and there's an interesting insight that I think a lot of customer service leaders don't understand. And it's this. Customer service employees don't need to be motivated. If you hired correctly, they walk in the door day one enthusiastic about their new job. They're thinking, I'm going to do well. I'm going to help people. I'm going to make a difference. They don't walk in thinking, can't wait to be disengaged. They walk in excited. And over time, we crush that excitement. And and how does that happen? Mm. Well, customer service is this unique position where I probably didn't create the problem, but I'm the one the customer is coming to. And I often don't have the power to do what's right for the customer. So I'm stuck in the middle. And if that happens to you day after day, customer after customer, that's incredibly deflating. So the the challenge, I think, for customer service leaders, but also organizational leaders, customer experience leaders, is how do we make it easier 
to feel pride in our company and do a great job. And that means better products, better services, smarter policies. Things just don't go wrong as often. And when they do, we've given our customer service team the tools and resources to fix it and restore trust. Now, by some miracle, I did remember the second part of your question, which is, and today, what's happening? And, and I, I think one of the things that is uh, really challenging for customer service employees today is that the normal day-to-day challenges that we had pre-pandemic are now more extreme. Frustrated customers are now furious. You know, the, the people that you saw, you know, maybe occasionally had a bad flight. Well, now people are attacking flight attendants and it, it's mm. at record levels. That, that's horrible for both employees and other customers. Delays are exceptional. I live in Southern California. I've seen those ships that are now record numbers sitting off the coast of Los Angeles waiting to be unloaded, which means you and I are probably waiting for our local store to restock their shelves. And customers are waiting for those products. And there's health regulations. We're all a little concerned at at different levels, perhaps, about getting sick, about the safety of our family. And from day to day, what we're supposed to do has often changed. And we're putting our frontline employees right in front of customers and asking them to explain the policy and enforce it. And that's a no-win situation. So I, I think the extremes have gotten even more extreme today and made those customer service jobs even more challenging. Well, I also think our patience has diminished, which feeds into that. Where we're patient and impatient, but maybe this needs to be a topic or a different day around how do we own you know, our own experience? Because it's not okay to call a service rep and take it out on them, but many do. So in a way, we, we need to train brands on how to deliver great experiences through their front line and their reps, but there needs to be kindness in each of us to recognize they're just people. I think that's the, the both the opportunity and the challenge. And it's so important that you bring this up. I, I once worked with a, a customer service trainer and she had this great line that she said to, to employees, she said, it's not your customer's job to be nice to you. And what she meant by that was we can expect that it's common human decency, but it's not their job. And so some of them won't be nice to you. And that's that's the challenge, I think. Because in any other type of human-to-human interaction, it's it's not going to be that lopsided where one person can be furious and be an idiot and be demeaning. And the other person has to smile and take it and say, I'm happy to help you. I mean, there aren't any other many other situations where we would have that imbalance. But the opportunity, I think, is exactly what you're pointing out, that as customers, if we are a little kinder, a little more patient, a little more understanding then we make things a little bit better for the people who serve us and we often get better service. And I'll give you two quick examples. I was on a flight not that long ago and the flight attendant pulled me aside and she said, I just want to thank you. What are you talking about? What do you mean thank me? She's like, you're so sweet and so polite. I really appreciate that. And it took me a moment to think about what was she talking about? It's only because I took my headphones out when she came by to ask me if I wanted a soda or something. And I said, please, and thank you. And I smiled and I gave her my full attention. And I realized in that moment, other passengers weren't doing that. 
I'll give you another example because we're all we're all customers and, and let's face it, there's times when we've had a bad experience and that person on the other end of the phone, like it or not, they're catching our frustration. We're even finding ourselves finding it. And, and I found a line I found very helpful. I asked the person, here's what I think you ought to do. Are you empowered to do that? And if they say yes, well, then reasonably they should do it if it's if it's a reasonable request. And if they say no, then why am I going to give them any more trouble? Because they've told me, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I just not allowed or I'm not physically capable of doing what you're asking me to do. And, and I found that that phrase kind of helps diffuse the tension on both sides. Mm-hmm. What do you say about everybody's focused on data makes sense. We know that business is has to have a heartbeat to it too. With call centers and customer service, they have hard metrics, get off the phone, certain amount of volume of calls. What do you say as you're in, you're in those trainings? How do you balance those quotas or those KPIs to also making sure that the customer is really taken care of? There's a few problems specifically in the contact centers around data. And I think if you address these problems, you create better service and the data gets better. So Mm -hmm. one problem is agents often are confused as to what specific behaviors they need to engage in to make the data look better or worse. And an example of that would be many contact centers measure average handle time. Now, it used to be that the length of your call was a, a goal, and we've fortunately gotten away from that. But it's still something they put right in front of agents. So it becomes an implicit goal. And, and agents see that and they say, well, if average handle time is five minutes, then I, I have to make this call five minutes. If they don't understand the behaviors that drive an efficient call, all they're looking for is if the call's going long, I'm trying to cut it short. And, and the odd thing is, if the call is short, often agents find themselves making the call go longer than it needed to go because five minutes has become the target, not the behaviors. For quality assurance, um, many contact centers are still stuck on this idea of assigning arbitrary points to their quality assurance. If you say hello, you get five points. And if you use the appropriate grading, you get five points. And if you offer the upsell, you get five points. Why are we putting points to this? The question is, did you engage in the behavior or not? And so agents will often say, I'm confused as to what behaviors you want me to change and which ones I should keep because they're working really, really well. Mm. Another one that we often see is customer satisfaction, customer effort score, even net promoter score, any of these, these survey metrics. And these, unfortunately, are really prone to manipulation. So uh, one example, uh, in a company, agents were given a $100 bonus if they could maintain a personal average of 90% customer satisfaction or better throughout the month. Well, great. Well, here's what happened. Anytime they got a whiff that a customer was dissatisfied, they would transfer the call or hang up. So, but why would they do that? Because I want to get my bonus at the end of the month and anybody who's upset who really, really needs my help is in danger of giving me something less than an amazing survey response. So we've created metrics that that in turn create poor experiences. I'm a big advocate that we should take most of the metrics out of the view of our agents on a daily basis and concentrate instead on what behaviors do you need to exhibit with the customer right in front of you so they have a good outcome. 
And I've run experiments. When, when contact centers do this, the metrics often get much, much better because the agents aren't feeling manipulated into doing the wrong thing. Mm. Motivation is a very tricky topic because so many times people are throwing money to make people care. And if there's gaming involved, you know that doesn't work. But at the same time, money is what people are, I guess, hungry for, why they're in business. It's very tricky. It really is how to keep someone engaged. And I do believe that there's a, yeah, it's a fine line. Well, it's funny that you mentioned money because there is a wealth of research that shows that money is a really poor motivator. And and what I mean by that is if you give somebody the kind of dangling money in front of them to do something, whether it's provide better customer service or reduce their handle time or whatever it is, then they'll focus on exactly what they have to do to achieve that goal and earn the money. But two things happen as a result. One is now that behavior is worth that amount. So as soon as you take the money away, if it's a bonus or something, they're no, they're no longer interested in doing that. Because it used to be worth $100 a month. Now it's worth nothing. I'm not going to do it. The second thing is you increase the, the likelihood someone's going to game the system and engage in the wrong behaviors just to earn the incentive. And, and what's sometimes frustrating is there's tons of research about this. This should not be an open question. Uh, what the research does tell us is that if you pay people well to begin with, and, and think about some of your favorite brands. They do that already. You know, Costco, Trader Joe's. I'm in Southern California, In-N-Out Burger. People are paid well to begin with. They're paid much better than market. So we, we take money as a top concern off the table. What really drives customer service employees, if you've hired correctly, is they like to make a difference. And the more you can work with your team to help them identify and solve problems, that's what gets them excited, what gets them to get up in the morning or the afternoon and the evening, whenever they have to get up and go to work and do the right thing. So it's not that extrinsic motivator of money. It's that they feel they are part of a bigger solution and they feel like they're empowered to do a great job. Feeling purpose. I mean, that is, it makes a lot of sense, but a lot of brands are missing the boat. Why? If it's that clear, why is it not happening enough? Oh, it's, it, it, that is, it's, that's the question. And it's, it's such a mess. So I'll try to distill it down to a few things. One is articulating purpose is often done in an aspirational context and not in a realistic context. And here's what I mean by that. The aspiration might be all these fluffy words that sound good and look good on paper. We're trying to create this amazing mission statement. But we never bother to check with our employees or stakeholders and say, is this what we do? Is this what we actually care about? And when you articulate the purpose that's already there and try to bring it forward and say, this is what we do already when things are going well. We just want to be more intentional about doing it. It becomes easier. But I think a lot of people are willing to they want to skip that step and just create something that sounds fluffy and then put it out there, that, which leads you to the second piece is the executive team, I have a clear view of the purpose, but there's mass confusion 
not only in the customer service team, but in the marketing team, the operations team, the finance team. And if you ask them what the purpose is, they probably all have different interpretations. I worked with a client once and even on the executive team, everybody in the C-suite gave a different answer in terms of what their purpose meant. Everybody agreed on the statement, but they all gave different answers when you said, well, what does that actually mean in our day-to-day behavior? And I think we, we experience this, you know, we, I think we both refer to ourselves as customer experience professionals. And we experience the same challenge on a daily basis, which is people throw out this term customer experience and everybody says, yeah, but stop a moment and ask people, okay, what does that mean? And you get such a variety of answers and, and that's fine. But if we don't all agree on what it means, how do we make it better? And so I, I think there's even that, that human nature, we're just going to kind of skip the hard work. And, and move on to the solution before we've really articulated where we're going. Well, I also fear that people are claiming the expertise, almost putting like doctor in front of their name when they really didn't go through the full coursework and methodology. And it's becoming, I look on LinkedIn and everyone's got customer experience and customer service in their in their bio, but are they really doing it or are they checking a box? And I got to tell you, it's becoming a pet peeve, big time. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned you've seen some pretty egregious examples, like the contact center renaming itself the customer experience team. And you say, okay, what are you doing different? <laughs> well, nothing, but this year we're going for wow experiences. Okay, what does that mean? I had this conversation <laughs> yesterday. What does that mean? And, and if that's the response... I don't really blame that person. It was the the CEO that failed to articulate what wow experiences are all about. But mass confusion. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a pet peeve of mine as well. But I mean, I see it as an opportunity for people who really don't know. Let's have the uncomfortable conversations. Raise your hand and say, teach me, rather than imposter syndrome. I like you what and you I did there. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I talk about imposter syndrome and it's real. It's a real thing. What's your view on that? It is a real thing. I guess for, for your audience who, who has not heard this term before, maybe we should check our understanding. My understanding of imposter syndrome is this kind of hidden, maybe internal belief that I don't really belong here. And maybe people are going to find out that I don't really belong here. Is that how you view it or or do you view it perhaps a different way? I agree with you, but also, or and also, it's not just about here as a place. I think it's also who I'm representing to the world and not showing up as your authentic self, trying to be something you're not. So it's, it's here and be and who you're trying to be. Is is the in is the syndrome that you you fake or you put a front on, right? Right. Well, I, I think there, there's there's kind of two elements of that. One one is it it's it's very real for frontline employees, and especially when they're asked to do something dumb. And, and so, let me give you an example. I was I won't name the place. People will listen. They probably will get it anyways. But I was once at a shoe store. I'm waiting in line. And the cashiers were required to say, I can help the next shoe lover over here 
it's a really awkward phrase to continuously have to say. And now a couple of people might own it, but it you could just tell it didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel real, but they had to say it every single time. And so in that sense, we're, we're kind of creating this, this feeling of a, a lack of authenticity because somebody in marketing probably dreamt up this phrase, thought it was awesome, never bothered to ask the stakeholders who actually had to say it or the customers who had to listen to it and also felt it was awkward. So that's, I think that's part of it. But then the other side of it is, you know, sometimes we really do feel like, you know, maybe I don't belong in this conversation or I don't really have something to offer. And and in the customer service world, I I think sometimes we're even treated that way. I've been victimized by that many times internally where someone in another department kind of would look down their nose at me in customer service. I said, well, you're just customer service. You don't need to be a part of this meeting. And and the way I resolved that and got over maybe my own sense of, you know, should I even be here is I I didn't focus on myself. I focused on them. And and I remember one time in particular, early in my career, I was really struggling to kind of get on the same page with marketing. And I realized I was coming to them with my problems, which they didn't care about. I started coming to them and saying, I think I understand your problem and I can help you solve it. And that's what got the marketing folks to communicate with me on a more regular basis because now they mm-hmm. saw me as an ally to help their goals. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you focus on the other person, it, it helps to take away that, that sense of, I don't really belong here, whether it's coming from yourself or it's coming from somebody else. Yeah, I mean, that's relationship 101. So we are coming to the end too fast. So let me ask you my final two questions. Okay. If I had lots of CEOs and leaders and entrepreneurs, business owners in my room right now, what's the one thing you'd want them to know? Here's the one thing that I tell CEOs, business leaders, and entrepreneurs all the time. The very first step on any destination or or, or any journey, I should say, is to pick a destination. So if you want to improve customer experience, customer service, you have to start by defining what does a great experience look like and make mm-hmm. sure everybody in your organization understands that same definition. Until you agree on a destination, it's really hard to get everybody aligned and moving in the same direction. Purpose comes back to my mind again. Absolutely. And that is, it's the purpose. Why are we here? What is the goal of the organization beyond profits? But, but why are we really here? Why don't we show up each and every day? Mm. And finally, if you could go back to your younger self, 20-year-old Jeff, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you say to the younger you? You're making a good decision. <laughs> the reason I say that is there was, there was a moment in time where I thought maybe I would pursue a different career in finance. And, and I happened to get a job uh, one summer uh, where I was doing a market research. And the job required me to flex some marketing muscles I didn't know I have to rediscover some of my customer service muscles. Because I was really, the research involved a lot of customers for this company I was looking for, working for. And I also had an opportunity to create a lot of training, which helped me rediscover my joy around training. And that experience caused me to scrap this whole idea of finance and, and really refocus my career. But of course, at the time, I had no idea if it was going to work out. So 
if I were to invent a time machine and go back in time, I think I would just tell myself it's going to work out. Mm, trust your instinct then too. Absolutely. Do you own a time machine, by the way? Is that why you're asking this question? Do you know if everyone can find <laughs> I, one? <laughs> I don't, but I'm very into learning and keep learning and keep evolving. So if we reflect not only on ourselves and our own lives and what others can teach us, but I am a parent as well. And I uh, I keep trying to teach them, share with them wisdom, whether they take it or not, it's a different story. But <laughs> I think it's important to to reflect, you know? Absolutely. I, I have a colleague who once said to me, there's a big difference between having 20 years of experience and experiencing one year 20 times in a row. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yes, very different. Well, I am so grateful for you being here today with me. And I'm going to put links to you in the show notes, but tell the audience, where can they find you? Where's the best place? Easiest way to find me is at toystersolutions.com. It's nice having a, a unique name. And uh, one little secret I'll share with you is, is I have a weekly customer service tip. I got really creative and I call it customer service tip of the week. It's one tip <laughs> once a week. Did you have email, a marketing? But, but this, did you have a marketer create that for you? Oh yeah, like focus <laughs> groups and everything. And that's what we came up with. The, the secret I'll share with you though is when people sign up for it, not only do they get the tips, uh, but every email, if you respond to that, it goes directly to me. And what I love about mm. that is that's enabled me to have a lot of conversations with customer service and customer experience professionals. And I think that's how we continue to learn. I, I've been out of the day-to-day -day work in many respects for, for many years. So no longer being a, a practitioner, I learn from having those conversations. And it's my goal to be helpful as well and, and often find that, that I can be. So that's the secret. If you sign up, we can also stay connected in, in real life. Love it. Yes. Well, I will definitely encourage people to join those conversations, join you. You're amazing. And thank you again for being here. Stacy. thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.